When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's another edition of Terry's Talking. David Campbell here, sports manager at Cleveland.com, joined just like every week by Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist for the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Terry, welcome back. You had a well-deserved break the early part of this week. Tell us about where you were. Oh, uh, my wife and I went to uh, Western Maryland to uh, visit a friend, and we did some day hikes on the Appalachian Trail and had a nice time. So it was great. We always know it's going to be 70 in, in November, so that's why we jumped on it. Yeah, you sent me some pictures. It was beautiful, the leaves and the, yeah. and the fall weather and uh, and the history. You saw some yeah. historical sites, yeah. too. Yeah, there are some cool things that people know about, like the Antietam Battlefield in, in uh, Maryland, which is the most famous uh, Civil War one. That's not on the Appalachian Trail, but there's a place called South Mountain, which is about 50 miles of the uh, Appalachian Trail goes through Maryland. We went there because partly it's, it's one of the closest places to get the Appalachian Trail from here. And it does go through a couple of like they're almost like the junior varsity battles before they got to Antietam a few days later, and those are pretty. Uh, the cool thing there is you just kind of run into them. There's a few signs in that. It's not like it's a a national park or that. So I I, I just love a chance to get outside. I did not find the calves on the trail playing Oregon hiking. <laughs> How about that? Right, let's get into the Cavaliers. Story. Let's do that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, West Coast road trips are never easy. The Cavs, with their fast start, people were just so exuberant about the way this team was playing, the sharing the ball, the scoring, just the way Donovan Mitchell had just jumped right in and, and become part of not just the on-court success with scoring points, but also just the culture. And the last two games, J.B. Bickerstaff is getting a little bit upset with, and, and you use the phrase, Terry, he said last night, and Chris Fedor, our colleague who covers the team, was out in California, and, and J.B. said after the game that this team is playing arrogant basketball. Are the Cavs playing arrogant basketball? Well, a couple of things. First of all, if you were going to have a West Coast trip, this is by far the easiest you could imagine. Back in 100 years ago when I covered the NBA, you didn't have or you went to L.A. and you played the same team back-to-back, the Clippers and the Lakers. Uh, so not only that, those games were in the same building. And then they just went up the road to Sacramento. Uh, usually back then it was like Portland to L.A. to Utah. To, they were just geographical nightmares. And I, the last time I checked, they did not go out there by wagon train. 
they did have a uh, their very own private jet, uh, and so they had the opportunity there. You know, in other words, I don't buy the fatigue thing. There's a little bit that gets goes into it, but not a ton. And they played a horrible first half against the Lakers and then shut them down the second half. But the last two games, they've given up 119, 127 points. And the arrogant basketball comment is that he doesn't want a team that thinks they could just turn it on and turn it off. That's what he said, because earlier in the year, they had some good second halves defensively, but not good. I'm not very, but very pretty sloppy early in the games. And uh, it's like this time that they just did it the whole game. Yeah, so Terry, I have the quote here. Last night, uh, 127-120, the Cavs gave up 69 points to a, a you know, not great Sacramento team in the first half. 69 points. Mm-hmm. And after the game, JB said, we've gotten into this habit, and it's my responsibility to be better of allowing people to just play freely to start games and then think that we're going to turn it on in the second half. That's arrogant basketball. You can't survive in the NBA playing that way. And then he went on to say, uh, we were a disappointing basketball team tonight. There's no other way around it. We all need to be held accountable for it. And on top of that, they gave up 58 in the second half. So it isn't as if, okay, they gave up all those points in the first half and then they kind of buckled it down. And I kind of challenge, you know, most, fans i bet a lot of fans there don't realize mike brown is a coach former Cavs coach is the coach of sacramento and you know try to name their their starting lineup they have some nice uh, players like Deron fox and i've always liked sabonis um back when he was with indiana harrison barnes has been around a long time but this is not a, a powerhouse team and i'm just looking here you know they made uh, the last two games they made 18 turnovers and the previous night, and they lost to the Clippers. They made 17. So, in other words, the last two games, they've made 35 turnovers. But on top of this, they've only forced 18. So, it's not as if it's a run-and-gun game on both sides where the ball's going all over the gym. So, that's what he sees there, that uh, sometimes the 8-1 and one start could be a bit deceiving because it could lead to some bad habits. And they won, you know, they won three overtime games in there, which were really good. But... Um, this team is still going to, even though they're eight and three, I think they're still going to be looking for an identity, David. You know, who are they? Cause they're, they're not the big, tall defensive minded, move the ball team of a year ago. They're a lot more talented than that. Um, but they're going to try to figure out, I think who they are and what have you seen, David? And then we'll, we'll let's dig a little deep into this. Well, not to go all hockey here, Terry, but there's an old saying in hockey when you have a really talented team, hard work, <laughs> then skill, right? Yeah. Like hard work, go, go get the puck or whatever. But And I think it kind of applies to the Cavs here, like play defense and then go have some fun at the other end. And it kind of feeds off itself. But you're right, Terry, look at some of these stats. And these, again, are taken from Chris Fedor's reporting. So the Cavs rank in the top three in overall defense. And that has been their identity, but they're 19th in defensive rating in the first quarter and 16th in defensive rating in the second. Uh, Last night, they finished with a defensive rating of 129.6, and that was their worst of the season. Um, I, I I just think it's, I think JB was willing to let them have a little bit of slack, but it sounds like he's had enough. And I guess my question is, Terry, what does he do? I mean, as a coach, do you watch the first quarter? If you see two bad defensive sets by a player, do you yank him, put somebody else in? What What are some things that coaches can do, and what can JB specifically do to help them get their their heads on straight defensively early in the games? 
One of the things I would do, and, I, and I'm saying this actually by looking at the Sacramento box score where Allen and Mobley were more involved in the offense than they have in some other games. Um, I mean, how about this shooting percentage? You combine Allen and Mobley together, they're 14 of 21 for 36 points. Part of the way to keep your big guys happy and involved is to make sure that they're involved on the offensive end. Uh, the other thing is right now to me, and, and there are a lot of reasons for it, Darius Garland's never been a very good defensive player, but he looks struggling now. And this guy, the eye, you could just see it on TV. That eye still looks to me like it's bruised or something. It doesn't look right. And so that's a, that's an issue there. You know, are they better off with even if Levert has played well? Would they be better off with going with Wade with the, the tall lineup and Levert off the bench? There are things you could look at. You don't have to jump through um, all those hoops immediately, but you could you could just say, all right, what what have we got here? And I think too, David, the uh, they're going through this situation where. Um, Garland and Mitchell now are going to have to start to figure out how do they do this together because early in the season, remember Garland got hit, hit I think two, two, excuse me, Garland two quarters into his first game gets the eye injury. So suddenly the ball's in Mitchell's hands and he just takes over the team, much like Garland did before. So they didn't really have to learn how to play the two guards together because they weren't. So then when Garland came back, you know, he's a little iffy um, with, uh, uh, how he's feeling. I mean, he's had some really good games. I'm lo- I'm looking here where, you know, he had 29 against Boston. By the way, always be careful when a guy comes back from his first game after injuries um, and plays really well. Lenny Wilkins used to call it the, the, uh, uh, the adrenaline game. And what he meant is, you know, you've been sitting out, you're ready to go. He said, then you might even have another good game or two after that. He said, but then because you've been out for a while, the fatigue, all those things sets in in the NBA. And, you know, he would always just kind of make a plea for patience. But, I mean, I'm looking at Garland. He, he's been scoring in that, but it's like he's had uh, – I, I, I thought he's been soft defensively. And, and Mitchell partly – I think you see he's very athletic in that he has good spurts defensively. But that during the game last night, David, there was a point where uh, I think it's Serena Williams, who's uh, Winters rather, Serena Winters on the sideline, said that uh, Evan Mobley hardly says anything, and Huddle spoke up and said to the guards, "You've got to help us. You got to do a better job." And so that's probably the type of thing that JV's hearing and and doesn't like what he's saying. Well, and you mentioned Levert, and and again, I'm taking from Chris Fedor's story, but the, the lineup of Garland, Mitchell, Levert, Mobley, and Allen, and Chris Chris wrote about this, of all the NBA fives that have logged at least 30 minutes together, that group of five is the 10th worst in terms of net rating. They're being outscored by 15.4 points per 100 possessions. Wow. And yeah, and, that, and I, they're I basically didn't see that. the equivalent of the Detroit Pistons at 117.8. Okay, not surprised. Detroit Pistons. Wow. You're not surprised by that, yeah? No, because it, it matched the eye test. I did not see that stat. It matches the eye test because what you had last year is with those three big guys. You had a small forward who is seven foot in marketing who is willing to go out and and defend. And so when he dropped back, he's still seven foot, even if they switch off of that, and they were able to shut down. The lane. Now they've they've had some trouble defending three pointers too, uh, 
so that just I I tell you, I'm going to give Levert a ton of credit. He's passing the ball better than I thought he ever would. Some games he because he is a 20 point scorer in the past, and that's mentality. He's been giving up some of that, but I'd rather have him just be coming off the bench and put Wade or or even if you kind of go the way other way, you go with a Coro, and maybe because I'm just more defensive minded as opposed to having Levert's has averaged 20 points a game. Garland has been a 20-point scorer. Mitchell's been a 20-point point scorer. I mean, if I'm a big guy, frankly, it wouldn't be a whole lot of fun playing out there with those two guys because I'm not going to see the ball. Yeah, I do wonder, Terry. I mean, Dean Wade, I think he played 14 minutes last night. And if mm-hmm. you watch that guy, I mean, yes, they don't have the 37-footers in the lineup anymore, but Dean Wade being 6'9", and he just chases guys yes. all over the court. He doesn't care what else is going on. He's like, no. I'm guarding this guy, and I'm not going to let him get a good shot. And he's forced a lot of bad shots this year. I do wonder, you know, Okoro's known for his defense and, and and had a little bit of a higher profile because of where he was drafted and everything. But I do wonder if JB might use Dean Wade as kind of a way to send a message and say, listen, would. this is what we need to be on defense. Look at this guy, and he's going to play more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that is that something you could see happening? I would, and I think he, he, he is in that direction. I mentioned this, this story a while ago on the night that uh, they brought in Mitchell for his press conference after the trade, and Chris Fedor and I were talking to different people. We ran into Sidney Lowe, and I was just saying, gee, I wish I could have kept marketing and out of that deal. And um, and Sidney, you know, basically it had to do with – if you're Utah, you're trading Donovan Mitchell. You want to get somebody like marketing back because – uh, and also it helped on the salary cap, the the money in the trade. But he said, you're forgetting about somebody. And I said, who? This is uh, Sidney saying that. He said, the assistant coach. He said, Dean Wade. He said, we really like Dean. This is before they signed him to the extension. At, and we think he, we can do some of the big lineup with him. So they were already talking about it and thinking about it. And I'm like, okay, well, let's see a little more of it. I mean, right now he's playing – 23 minutes a game, but it seems like he's back, you know, they're backed off with him. And so this is a little bit of a problem that JB hasn't had before is what to do with his talent. By the way, offensively, Wade is shooting 53% from the field and 50s on threes. So it's not as if you put him out there and, you know, like poor, poor Okoro. I mean, he's shooting 30% from the field and um, it, it's just been a hard time for him. I'm curious to see how he plays this. The other guy that I would throw in once in a while, if I just wanted more defense in the backcourt, even if it's for five minutes or whatever, is uh, Raul Neto, just like Deli, Deli was used. He's the, the the Deli of this team, Matthew Delvadova, because he gets out there. Even um, Bickerstaff's called him a pesk because he is. He chests people, and that that's your hockey guy that's just out there annoying everyone. And you sit one of those guards down and just not that I expect Garland to play that way, but say, look, bring some energy on that end of it. And I'm just concerned about Garland's eye. I know that uh, uh, the the medical people wouldn't clear him if he weren't, quote unquote, healthy. But what it does to your you know, your psyche as a player, it, it can't be easy. I mean, that thing was, as he said, he was scared. He thought he was going to have surgery. And right now, Garland's shooting 37% from the field and 32% on three-pointers. And I'm not surprised because of what happened with that injury. 
So I guess more specifically, Terry, in terms of what to do tomorrow night, Friday night, we're taping this on Thursday. They're playing at Golden State. Mm-hmm. And what would your starting five be tomorrow night if you're making up the lineup? Well, that's a they're a chance. Although they're they've been up and down all over the place, but you know they they are the actual uh, move the ball, move bodies. You know that the extra pass, the extra cut to the basket. That's them. I might, you know, either either I would start Wade and and bring uh, Levert off the bench, or uh, well, the other thing you could do is this: you've challenged them. So they played arrogant basketball. The other thing, by the way, he mentioned because I watched the whole press conference. David, he goes, "We need to pay attention to the scouting reports." That jumped out at me as much as arrogant basketball because that's maybe part of it. So maybe you play the same lineup, see how it goes. If it's another disaster, then when you come home, you make a change and say, look, we've had three games in a row where we've given up close to 120 points or more. I can't watch it anymore because that's not who we are. And the other thing that you can outscore these teams now and, and that, but I don't want to see... Mitchell just putting the team on his back and doing a LeBron imitation. I just don't want to see that because one, he'll wear down. There are very few physical specimens like LeBron James. Yeah. He's one of the few that I've ever seen that can do it for long stretches. And it seems like it doesn't affect him. And then you go back on the positive side. I got to find this game as we're talking. Remember when Garland and Mitchell were both out and he went to Detroit now, this looked like the old-fashioned Cavs. Granted, Detroit's not very good, but 112 to 88. And they took him apart. So that uh, that struck me as, as I remember watching that game. I thought, boy, they went out and they made – it's almost like those other guys wanted to prove a point. And I'm just looking at that box score right now. Let's see. Yeah, they started Wade, who didn't score, by the way, in 23 minutes. And they Mobley and Okoro had nine points. He played 23 minutes. Allen had 23. Levert had 15. And Kevin Love just cleaned up with 21. That was his – he almost had a triple-double. In 23 minutes, he had 21 points, eight rebounds, and 10 assists. But you could see him rallying the guys. And actually, a player who I like defensively um, is Lamar Stevens. See, they have these guys they could toss in. And maybe you just create a little more space for minutes for these guys to go in and just, just do that. So I'm curious. To look, I like JB. He's creative. And he's got guts. Even before he got the contract extension, he would do things to send a message. So um, I'm very confident in him. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and, you know, it's amazing to see. I mean, I think this time last year, the Cavs, they were going through a bout of covid JB yeah. would turn to the bench and he's like, all right, how many guys do we have mm-hmm. <laughs> who can play tonight? And you look at that compared to where he is now, where he's got a bunch of guys with a bunch of offensive talent and a bunch of role players that he can plug in. I, he's got a lot of solutions. You're right, Terry, that he can go to here. And and he's it's 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 not a, a situation where he's looking for players that can do stuff. He's got to motivate these guys. And I think he will. I think you're right. And also, he knows he can't just do this screaming halftime things, which he's done about three times already. Uh, I remember uh, 
it's a long time ago, but Pat Corrales, when he took over the, uh, the tribe way back in the early eighties, when I was covering them for the plain dealer and, uh, about two months into his, um, first year tenure, he had dumped the food table over three times. And I remember he's talking to Sheldon Oker and I, he goes, I can't keep dumping the food over all the time. He goes, I'm not, that's my limit. <laughs> and and he, so, <laughs> go ahead. Cause he would walk in and they were really, um, I think he had taken over from Mike Ferraro or I forgot who it was. They fired, but, um, and, it was really the losing atmosphere and and just seemed like after the game, we just ran to the food table and then they were, you know, making reservations for where they were going to go drink and party after the game. So, and Corrales is always kind of a macho guy. I always thought he was kind of an underrated manager. I I liked him quite a bit. And so the same thing, JB knows you just can't keep screaming. And so the next thing you do is, okay, um, we have to go to what, Lenny Wilkins, to not to quote him, says the biggest power you have as an NBA coach is playing time. And he said that's the thing that the players value the most, and that will sometimes get their attention, especially if you take time to explain, all right, here is why you're not playing as much, or here is why. You can't just do it. Um, you know, you are uh, – uh, only you, you're with this group of players on the court. So and I'm just checking something as we talk. All right, warning sign. This is a big one. You ready, David? Yep, let's hear it. I thought so. In his entire career, Donovan Mitchell never averaged more than 30 point, 30, excuse me, 34 minutes a game. What's he averaging this year? I'm going to say 40. Close, 39.2. Granted, there's been some overtime games. Nonetheless, too much, too much, too many minutes, don't want to do it. The other thing about, keep this in mind, the last three years, Mitchell has missed 14 and 24 and makes it 24. I'm doing quick math and 50. He has missed 39 games. In other words, an average of 13 games over the last three years. Careful. Even though he looks indestructible, he's not. Good stuff, Terry. All right. Um, so the Cavs have Golden State tomorrow on Friday night, as we mentioned. Then they're back home real quick for a Sunday game against Minnesota and then back on the road Wednesday at Milwaukee. And then they're going to have a nice home stand uh, coming up after that, if I have my schedule straight here. But uh, So anyway, big one tomorrow night at Golden State. That should be a fun one to watch. Terry, let's take a break. When we come back, we will talk about the Browns, who are back from their bye week. And we will get into a little bit of Guardians talk. And we have your faith column, which is about beep, 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 a robot. So we've got some really good Hey Terry questions. So we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell, Terry Pluto. All right, Terry, let's get into the Browns here. The Browns are 3-5. and five. They just came out of their bye week. They're playing in Miami on Sunday at 1 o'clock against the 6-3 and three Dolphins. Browns are getting a little bit healthy coming out of the bye week, as most teams do. They're think Denzel Ward is going to be back from his concussion. They're hoping to have guard Wyatt Teller back in the lineup uh, from his calf injury. It hasn't been decided yet, but Terry, the, the Browns are going to have their hands full against the Dolphins on Sunday. It's a, it's a tough place to play. Their, their offense is really flying high. Um, what are you expecting or what are you thinking the Browns should try and do Sunday against the Dolphins? Well, hopefully something similar they did with Burrow and, and Jackson the last two games they played where the defense has shown up and began to look at it is. I think this is a critical game again. We keep saying that when you're three and five, but uh, also it's a test for Joe Woods. We keep saying that. But these are all true. When your defense, when you're three and five and your defense has been so, um, I'm trying to say terrible, that's not fair because the last two games have been better, but just so unreliable. How's that? Very unreliable. Then you go and you look at, okay, the last two games, granted, it was against Detroit and Chicago, but Miami put up 66 points. And see, Miami, like they, they beat, Granted, Pittsburgh's not very good, but they beat them 16 to 10, so they could play it that way. Um, they've had, uh, uh, you know, Tua got hurt earlier in the year. I mean, they beat Baltimore. May I say this? They threw 42 on Baltimore. So that's going to be it. They beat, and they beat Buffalo 21 to 19. So it's like they could beat you two different ways. That's where I'm going with this. Buffalo 21 19, New England 20 to 7, Pittsburgh 16 to 10, or they could go 42 to 38, 31 to 27, 35 to 32. So they could play it either way. And I'm just, I think that's a tough team. And then, you know, the Browns so far, um, they're not going to score 35 points or more. That's not what they do. Well, Terry, I, I'm of the opinion that I think the Browns are going to have to rush for 200 yards on Sunday to have a chance here because you've got to keep the ball away from that offense. Mm-hmm. And I think Nick Chubb's going to have to go for about 130 or 140, and that'll just keep them in the game. But, I mean, the Dolphins, they're the top offense in the league in passing yards. They're tied for first in yards per attempt, and they have 18 touchdowns through the air. That's tied for third. And they didn't even have Tua for a couple of those games. Yeah, if he missed two of those games. So, yeah. And part, part of another one. So you look at that, and by the way, they have one of my favorite backup quarterbacks, although Jacoby's now moving in that thing too, and that's Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I've always been a big Teddy Bridgewater fan, who, by the way, um, I know somebody who knows Stefanski and all that. Stefanski loves Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, just of course they're they're much like Jacoby. This is Grant's a game manager and that, but you go out there and you you're fairly confident that he's not going to go throw three interceptions and just you know mess up the whole game. So in other words, um, you're right. They better they better control the ball. I'm. 
you know, because I haven't been following Milwaukee, following Miami that much. Tyreek Hill, by the way, how about this? He's got a thousand yards receiving already. Eleven hundred and four. Is that a lot? That is a lot. And and Terry, there is a lot of people right now who think that Tyreek Hill is the MVP right now of mm-hmm. um, at least the offensive MVP for for the AFC because he's on pace to break Calvin Johnson's record for all-time receiving yards in a season. Um, and that, you know, when he left, everybody thought, well, oh, he's not going to be the same without Patrick Mahomes, but he's mm-hmm. having his best season ever. And the Browns could not be getting Denzel Ward back at a better time. No, I mean, really, that that is going to be some matchup. I'm going to be very interested to see how the Browns handle this. We've talked on previous podcasts about how much zone versus man that Joe Woods has been playing mm-hmm. in the back. And, Boy, I don't know what you do with with these guys and this kind of speed. Jalen Waddle is having a great season. I, yeah, it's, he's it's got eight hundred. He's got eight hundred yards catch already. I'm looking their tight end. Of course, it's going to be hard. How's that? There's something brilliant to say. Nineteen catches of twenty or more yards for Hill. Thirteen for Waddle. So that's that's really amazing. And they. Um, They've lost three fumbles, and they've had ten inter- seven interceptions, so they've only had ten turnovers in those games at six and three. That that division, by the way, is just stunning to me, where you look at uh, Buffalo six and two. The Jets, who we all thought, we, I thought, weren't very good. Even after they beat the Browns, I thought they weren't very good. They're six and three, Miami six and three, and I think Bill Belichick's five and four. So um, they've been – you can't say there's beating up on bums in that division. Well, and the Jets beat Buffalo over the weekend. That, yeah. that was a huge win for them. And yeah, that, that's the best division in football. And I just, uh, I think the Browns are really going to have their hands full. They're, they're really going to have to just like you said, control the game on the ground. So what, um, what do you think about, what do you think they ought to do defensively? Cause I'm, I'm not just keep against stats Miami? On Miami. Yeah. These stats on Miami are better than I thought. And you know, they're not bad. They run it fairly well too. Uh, Moser, Raheem Moser used to be with the um, with the Forty Niners. He's averaging four and a half a carry. Um, you know, Tua can run a little bit. So uh, the during, against the Bears the other day, Justin Fields ran for the most yards ever by an mm-hmm. NFL quarterback in a regular season game. Yeah, and there were plays where the Dolphins had a spy on him, and Justin Fields just ran past the spy. Uh, one of them, I think, it was a 61-yard touchdown. The Browns don't have somebody like that. Like, not many teams do, right? No. So no. they're going to have to just pound it like they did against Cincinnati. I think we're going to see a lot of the, the two and three tight end packages where they're putting Don and Hudson in as extra tight ends. And they did a lot of trap blocking where Hudson would run across the formation and just kick out the mm-hmm. outside guy and blast him and, and try and make some holes. I think, we're, I think they're going to stick to that formula. Like you mentioned that they use against the Bengals and then they just got to try and keep everything in front of them on defense. And you also can use your quote unquote passes like running plays, you know, with the shorter passes, that kind of thing. That's a good and point. The, the book that Nick Chubb is not a good receiver is unfair. Nick Chubb as John Dorsey told me way back when they drafted him. Is an awkward receiver? In other words, it looks he doesn't look smooth. Like Kareem Hunt looks pretty good, comfortable catching the ball. It's kind of like he's spearing this bird going by, you know, just kind of sticking and trying to squeeze him and get him. But then you have the ball in Nick Chubb's hands. So that takes care of a lot of uh, – let's go this way. 
you don't have to be creative because after that, he'll be creative. Right. So let's talk about Nick Chubb for a second, Terry. Uh, Derek Henry of the Titans was asked this week, who is the best running back on the planet? And he said, Nick Chubb. And Nick Chubb said he was really touched by that and it really meant a lot to him. Uh, well, let me just throw out a few numbers here, but I want to ask if you agree with what he's saying. But Derrick Henry, of course, won the NFL rushing championship two times. He's got 870 rushing yards now. Nick Chubb's right behind at 841. Um, Nick Chubb's yards per carry is 5.6. Derrick Henry's is 4.8. Derrick Henry, player of the year. NFL player of the year in 2020. So what do you think, Terry? Who is the best running back on the planet? You think that Derrick Henry is right? Nick Chubb is the best running back I've seen, at least in a Cleveland uniform, since Jim Brown. By the way, Leroy Kelly is lost in history. He was tremendous. Uh, So, and I've seen some of Henry, you know, not as much as with Chubb, but I just don't see anybody. Yeah, you know, very. You know, then you go Gail Sarah's Barry Sanders. I'm not going to get into that whole debate uh, because I, I just don't have enough historical perspective. But I do with Cleveland players, and Chubb is very, very similar to Jim Brown because he would. Although Brown used to hold the ball in one hand, hold it out like he's holding a loaf of bread, and he wouldn't fumble. And Brown was such a big physical specimen, and when you look at old tapes compared to the size of players back then. But it was the same thing how if you watch Chubb, he gets the ball. He takes a, maybe a second or even just slightly less, but he looks and then runs. And Brown would do the same thing. He lets the blocking develop. He looks for something um, that uh, it looks like he's, uh, he's just looking for a hole. And then the old line, which is true, don't put a watch on him in a 40-yard dash. Put a watch on him when somebody's chasing him. And suddenly he's running a lot faster. Yeah, and you know, it was, Jim Brown had a reputation where he'd get tackled and he'd get up like he was hurt oh, or, yeah. or he was just worn out. And then the next play, he would just come right back, right back at you. I think Nick, Nick Chubb has a little bit of that too, mm-hmm. where it just – he, he's his personality is kind of very even keeled and he just he kind of gets up a little slow too but the next play he's just right back at you just run full speed and stiff arming guys so i remember talking to brown in too. when I, i've interviewed brown a couple times over the years and i asked him about that once and he said look if you were running out there and they're just beating on you all the time you're going to take a couple extra seconds to just lay there and kind of get your breath easy for you to say when you're just watching it <laughs> and like okay I mean, first is Jim Brown speaking it. Second, he was very he gave you got kind of the Jim Brown tough stare. And third, it made a ton of sense. Yep, for sure. All right, Terry. So Sunday, Browns, Dolphins, yeah. one o'clock. You said like you said, it's a huge one if the Browns want to stay in the division race. Right now the Ravens are leading at six and three, Bengals five and four, and then the Browns are three and five, and the Steelers are two and six. So Yeah. All right, I have a kind of a philosophical baseball question I want to ask you here, and and it, it just stick with me for a minute. But the TV ratings over the weekend, the Georgia Tennessee football game drew thirteen point one million viewers and a six point seven rating. It was the highest ever among a regular season game mm. since twenty nineteen. The LSU Alabama football game drew seven point six million viewers. That was ESPN's most watched regular season game since 2016. And in soccer, the MLS Cup was on Saturday, their championship game, and that drew 2.155 million viewers. That was the second most MLS champion, second most watched MLS championship game. 1997 was number one. 
So the last game of the World Series, Terry, got 12.55 million viewers, which was less than the Georgia-Tennessee game. It was more than LSU-Alabama and more than the MLS Cup. But those ratings are kind of going up and are high. And baseball's game six with 12.55 million viewers, that was the least watched game six in World Series history over the weekend. Overall, the World Series was the most watched since 2019, but this is still the third least watched ever, ahead of only 20 and 2021. So are you worried about baseball in terms of popularity and fan engagement, given there was a lot going on Saturday? You had a lot, It was a big college football day. You had soccer. You got um, people doing stuff. But are you worried about baseball? I'm not surprised because baseball is a uh, regional or provincial sport. I really believe that. It's just, now you could argue, too, with the rise of gambling, it doesn't bring in that same type of sporting interest, as they would say, like maybe <laughs> the LSU game would or some of these college games. And I just have always believed, to show you how, my, how I kind of looked at baseball, remember, baseball is my favorite sport, but... Uh, when I became a columnist with the Akron Beacon Journal at that time, this is in 93. Before that, we used to send in Akron, and I believe Cleveland was doing it too, uh, not only the beat guy to the World Series, regardless of where it was, but the columnist. And I said to uh, my boss, then I said, I don't think it's wise to go. He said, why? Well, I, I just don't. I'm basing on conversation. We have emails and all that back then. I just don't hear a lot of general interest in this. I'd rather save the money for things that have more to do with our teams. And I saw that in 93, and and nothing certainly has changed, if anything has continued to to go in that other direction. I mean, the old days when he was sending everybody to the World Series, it was like uh, maybe it was the only game on TV. There was was not that much competition. So I – I'm not surprised. I, I think it's going to continue to trend that way. Um, but, you know, like if the the Guardians were in the World Series or whatever, then the ratings are through the roof here. I'm sure the mm-hmm. ratings were high in Philadelphia and Houston. Yeah, yeah. And I think I might have butchered that stat, Terry. This, this year's World Series was the most watched since 2019, and it's the third least watched ever ahead of only right, 2020 so, and twenty. So it's a little better than a, than a couple of COVID years. Fine. Right. I mean, that's all you're really saying. Yeah. But I'm going to be interested. You know, baseball is a very purist sport. People Mm -hmm. who love it, love it because it's been played this way for 150 years. And Rob Manfred and the the competition committee for MLB are with, with, you know, they're increasing the size of the bases. So there's more stealing. The pitch clock is coming in next year. I'm wondering how far they'll be able to push some of the traditional boundaries of the game to make it quicker paced and to engage people especially talked, younger people. I've talked to some scouts that um, didn't think they would like some of the things. And they said, wait to you who watch some of these lower minor leagues, uh, leagues that have the pitch clock, they go, wait till you see it. You'll love it. You'll love it. Uh, one of them being um, Tom Hamilton's son, Nick. And I can't remember who he's scouting for. It might be Philadelphia, but he said he was completely against it. Nick played briefly in the Cleveland chain he was a star at Kent State and he's been scouting the last several years and he said wait 
do you see these games? He says, you get rid of these guys stepping, Tom was telling me, stepping out of the box. You don't have the pitcher wandering around the mound looking up for birds. You know, you're just, it's almost like when you went to a, you know, a game in Little League or high school. They got in there, you bat, you pitch. And it just, that's probably the most welcome thing. I don't know about the size of bases, how much that's going to really help. We'll see. Uh, the thing that I don't know how it's going to work is uh, the lack of shifts. I'm curious to see what that does. That's going to be the big one because that is a huge change. The shift thing is just overtook baseball completely. I, I think it's almost like outlawing, outlawing the slider or something. You know, it's been become a key defensive weapon. Well, a lot of changes there, Terry. And, and I think the other thing that's hurting is there's no kind of national event sometimes. You know, you get to the playoffs and everybody can watch all the games, but there's no – the games are on late at night for the World Series. Kids can't stay up and watch because they're school. It's just there's there's a lot of things they need to think about. So David, don't – and, you know, I'm a, I'm a big anti-gambling person, so I'm saying that from that perspective. But don't underestimate the value in terms of TV and other ratings of – Having that sporting interest. Think of all <laughs> the cash that goes into the NCAA tournament or, you know, these college, these college, big time college games. And of course the NFL. So there, whereas now you look at some of the ratings, the NBA uh, finals, I know Cleveland and, and Golden State, the first, especially the first couple were pretty high. There was a ton of interest with LeBron and that. Uh, but they're not anywhere near the, you know, these huge football numbers. Well, I'll talk about being engaged when you got some uh, money in the game that will yeah. get you engaged real fast. So, well, well I'm just saying that's what people do, and and with gambling growing, that's uh, and I think it's going to create a whole bunch of other problems. But in terms of, it's great for television. Yes, it is. All right, Terry, let's talk about your faith in UConn this week. Uh, you mentioned your trip the last few days when you were over in Western Maryland and Pennsylvania, right? Did I get that right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Western Maryland, around Hagerstown and that area. And, yep. and you went to a grocery store and you met somebody or something called Marty. Why don't you yeah. talk about Marty and, and kind of how Marty struck you? They have a big chain down there called Martin's. And so I went in there, I just pick up some distilled water, a couple other things. And, and this robot is following me or something it's this long he's like six foot one he has no hands he's got good wheels because that's what he has his wheels and he just rolls around with these google eyes and i couldn't figure out is he watching people or what and i you know i was in the back of the store then he came to the front of the store i could see no purpose going on so finally i asked a couple of employees what's the deal? And I, I looked up, his name was Marty online. I guess what's with the, yeah, I Googled robot at Martin's food store. And he said, well, he rolls around, he finds spills. And I said, well, then does he clean them up? No, he stands there and says, caution. <laughs> so I said, what does he do? I said, well, then I or somebody else has to go clean up the skill, the spill. I said, that's it. That's it. And Roberta saw, I didn't see it, but there was a lady in a, one of those little carts to drive around, and Marty was in her way, and she just slowly banged her cart into Marty, and he just kind of rolled away. Um, I asked Marty where the distilled water was. He did not reply, so he flunked customer service. 
I guess what I'm thinking is this is, I mean, maybe this works out well for them, by the way, Marty costs 35 grand. Um, it's just now one, one younger employee told me, he said, well, one thing she, she had a funny line. She goes, well, look at our fours. They're really clean. I said, they are. She goes, well, so far since he's been here, nobody's died. And I said, well, that's a good bottom line. And she smiled. She goes, but the kids really do like them. I said, I get that part. So, okay. It's not the greatest column ever, but it's fun. And we got some great pictures of Marty and me. Well, and you're right, Terry, about, I think you mentioned that Marty, there's some people you run into in life where they want to point out the problem, but they don't want to do it. Don't want to fix it. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That. Yeah. yeah Marty, Marty's Marty is the guy that, yeah, there's a mess over there. And it's, I've heard this from some other pastors and that it's like, sometimes, you know, you're praying about something, Lord, will you fix this for you fix this? And God, you hear, you may hear a core thing. Why don't you fix it? <laughs> Yeah, you could pay that electric bill for that person. By the way, some suggestions. If you have somebody, either a friend or that, and they say, boy, they're going to shut off my, my electric bill or my cell phone or something like that. And especially if this person's been kind of all over the place financially, ask for the bill and you pay it. Because even if their intentions are good, suddenly you put $100 cash in their hands or whatever, between there and the illuminating company, some stuff could really happen. And I have found that. And then also, by the way, you will find, I've never had it go the other way where the person didn't hand me the electric bill, but if somebody else did, then you discover that was just a total con job. All right, well, let's catch uh, Terry's Faith in You column. This weekend, it'll be on cleveland.com on Saturday morning and in Sunday's Plain Dealer. You can see the real life pictures of marty the robot and his big googly eyes so there we go all right we got a few hey terry questions we're running a little short here terry i'm going to see if i can get to as many of these as we can so this first one is from caleb Mackey, who's a longtime friend of the podcast he's from columbus he says hello terry and david i've really enjoyed your discussions about the calves of late i can't wait to make it up to a game this year Although it can be hard to tell when watching on TV, the vibe I am getting is that the crowd feels like a playoff atmosphere already early in this season. I've heard Terry comment about how Cleveland is just is not just a football town, and he has noted how fans have been quick to rally around the Cavs since they've begun to put together a quality team in the post-LeBron era. This made me wonder why Clevelanders haven't done the same for our beloved Guardians. How can we go from a 455-game sellout streak in the 90s to nearly empty stadiums this year while an exciting young team is playing amazing baseball? I feel like I see a lot of empty stadiums across the country when I see highlights from other teams. Is this just the state of baseball? Well, I kind of I kind of got us into that a little while ago, but what about the Guardians? I know attendance is something that has long been an issue since the sellout streak ended. What do you see when you're over there? Well, number one is if you want to repeat the 455-game streak, two things need to happen. The Browns need to move, and the team needs to go into a brand-new stadium after having been in a dump for a century. Those two things are completely um, anomalies that we're not going to see again. Browns move. Cavs are not very good. This is in the middle 90s. Brand-new stadium. And – also at a time when, unlike now, where cable TV generates a lot of the income, back then the new stadiums were generating a lot of the income, which allowed Cleveland to actually operate like a top 25 or 35, basically top third in payroll, sometimes even higher. So that was what helped with the winning, which draw them in. And they were the, they were the only show in town at that point. And 
So uh, that's one. Secondly, uh, at other times, Cleveland has just not been a good baseball town. Some fans get upset with me, but I just say, look at the, you know, look at how they drew. Even in the fifties, a number of the teams that they had were very competitive and very good. And they just, you know, they barely drew a million fans. Um, And so that was before the Cavaliers were even here. And the the hockey team, the Barons, were in the were minor league teams. They basically just had Cleveland, the uh, Indians, and the Browns. So that that's just my feeling on it. And I don't think it's going to change. I know the you know, the Guardians people sit around. They they tend to budget for lower attendance. And if you notice, they've they've kind of stopped complaining about it. it it's almost like an embargo. There, just don't bring it up. Just say we're going to do the best that we can with what we got. Uh, I'm hoping that this playoff run will help them with with tickets next year. But, you know, people will spend and, and spend their money where they want to spend it. Well, yeah, the with thing. the Cavs, by the way, you're also talking about if you get 19 to 20,000 fans, the place is packed. You put 15,000 in there, it's loud and it looks full. You put 15,000 at uh, the stadium, it just is it, – it, it looks like a nice crowd, but there's – what's the whole 33,000? So there's it's less than half full. Yeah, big difference. And and uh, I was just going to say, Terry, the other thing that this team doesn't have is is guys jacking home runs, you know, yeah. every every game. And you go and see Jim Tomey hit a ball over the flagpole, you'll tell your friends about it. Yeah, they were the only show, though, David. Do not underrate that because uh, I've really studied this. Tom Hamilton and I did a lot of work on this and talked to some people. We did our book, Glory Days, on the 90s. And it just was a unique set of circumstances Yes, they had those power hitters, and they were exciting. Um, but it just fell into place for them. But even back then, they decided they weren't going to pay Albert Bell. They let him walk. They, When Kenny Lofton wanted this huge contract and turned down an extension, they traded him to Atlanta. He came back here a year later on a, a much cheaper uh, contract. So John Hart played some financial hardball too because dick jacobs just kept saying he did not have he paid quite a bit but he said i'm not paying all these guys all right we got one more here terry this one is from jack and erie who writes us frequently and he's got a good question here i did a little math because i I didn't want to catch us flat-footed on this one he says hey guys i have a question about the guardians and money and it's not negative do either of you know how much they netted from the four home playoff games i'm sure the club didn't think they'd get there it has to be like found money Thanks and go Cavs, says Jack. So, see if I got this right, Terry. <laughs> the four games, right? The four playoff games. Progressive Field holds thirty-five thousand and forty-one fans. That's the capacity. I just did a conservative estimate of seventy-five bucks a seat, which seems about the bottom range for where the playoff tickets were selling for. That comes out to two point six two eight million dollars per game when they sell out and you times mm-hmm. that times four, two home games for the Rays and two home games for the Yankees. And I come up with $10.512 million. That is just the total net proceeds from the ticket sales, not including concessions or anything else. So I think we're pretty safe in saying that $10 million minus expenses, you know, paying people to work the ballpark and everything. But does that seem about right? The gross does, but you're forgetting one thing. To I'm trying to Google this right now. Um, the percentage of income of playoff games to major league, according to P- Players Association, the league pays out bonuses based on a percentage of revenue of playoffs throughout the year. And so, in other words, they I think almost half of that I'd have to get the exact total goes into this pot 
for the Players Association. Okay. So it's not just simply that amount. So um, I'm not, I've been trying to kind of get to, you know, how all that works, but it isn't just, I know one, this thing is the longer it goes, the better it is for the teams. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that says, uh, I mean, one story I'm seeing here says 15% of all the ticket revenue goes to the teams. Let's put it this way. It was a really good fall October for Cleveland, but um, it isn't exactly how it, um, how it plays out uh, just in pure, in pure dollars. So um, I'm not sure, you know, what it goes. I'm going to try to find out. I did ask somebody during the uh, playoffs and of course, uh, uh, nobody, (laughs) they don't particularly want you to know that. So there you go. That's why. But it, but it isn't just in math. (laughs) Yeah, but that's why. So, all right, let's cut it in half. It's five million. It's five million. Yeah, and it, I guess it is like found money because they weren't expecting it at the beginning and of the season. And if you want to bring back Austin Hedges, you could pay him that. How about that? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> what a country. All, All right. right. Um, well, here we go. Just, All right, yeah. All right, go ahead. Under the label agreement of 2021, the total – 50% of gate receipts from the wild card go to the players. 60% of gate receipts are the first three games of the division series. So – Half of the money in the – that was my guess, remember, half the money? Mm-hmm. Half of the money from the wild card goes into that whole pool for the playoffs. 60% of the first three games goes to the players. And it keeps going to 60% of the first – then, like, the next one's after that is the first four games or first four games. So that's why I said those last three games, teams would love these seven-game series. Especially if you're the home team. Yep. Yep. All right. Great question. Thanks for that, Jack. We, like Terry said, it's very hard getting at baseball financials. They don't want that stuff out there, but Terry had some good information there. So thanks for looking that up on this. Because the nice thing is that's in the labor agreement. So, and that is public. That's why I was searching for it. I knew somewhere it was that and, and the, the 50% figures stuck in my head. So. All right. We are near the end, Terry. It's promotional time here i yes. just wanted to let you talk about i think you have another library appearance coming up on the east side if i remember yes yeah, so wickliffe november 17th thursday november 17th at wickliffe at 7 p.m come on out um and uh, we'll enjoy it the crowds have been big for all the ones i've been doing and it's just great to meet the fans if you have books you know i'll sign them preferably my own um so once in a while somebody brings you somebody else's book but um Although the weirdest one is uh, I was speaking one time and like these five people got up right after about five minutes and walked out. And I didn't actually, once in a while that happens, they worry about the guy comes up to me, goes, you know, I was sitting by those people. They said, we thought this was about the Danny Green and the mob bombings in Cleveland in the seventies. <laughs> well, Danny Green could bomb it from me. Yeah, so right. Yeah. Little, right. Little, yeah, little yeah, little <laughs> I mean, you know, there was to like five, I, I, you know, I, I, Certainly covered enough teams that bombed out, but you know all those jokes. But it's like, okay. So anyway, we are not doing the bombings of the mob wars of Cleveland in the seventies. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, enjoy the weekend. The weather's been really good for November, and we'll catch you next week on Terry's Talking. <laughs>